last night, Unbidden, um, I got uh, part of the Pina Colada song stuck in my head. But it was, um, if you like Pina Coladas and getting shot into space. And that was it. That was it. Just that last line. our sponsor stamps.horse yes. oh stamps.horse uh thank you for the new commemorative <laughs> i couldn't think of a single horse <laughs> thanks to stamp.horse we can bring you this uh special edition um focusing on scoundrels throughout history Yes, it is the scoundrel cast. Yeah, I've got a scoundrel. Tyler's got a scoundrel. We don't know who each other's scoundrels are. So we're going to find out. But before we do, i got a few stories to cut our teeth on here. I'm excited for, for this. Yeah, so first one really, um, it's a follow-up from last week when we talked about all the bones they were finding and not finding at the Vatican. Oh, right. I do like that you said last week, as though last week we recorded this <laughs> story. Last but... week, I meant to say last time, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's all good. Uh, last year, when we talked about bones, but yes, no, um, totally. Let's Vatican bones. Uh, from the BBC, Pope freed by firefighters after being stuck in Vatican lift. Oh, good. <laughs> I had no idea. Pope Francis has apologized for arriving late for his weekly prayer in St. Peter's Square, saying he was stuck in a lift in the Vatican. To did the Swiss Guard have to, like, are there Swiss Guard firefighters? The 82-year-old pontiff said he had been trapped in the lift for 25 minutes because of a power outage before he was freed by firefighters. So it doesn't say if they were specially trained yeah. pontifical firefighters or just regular ones. <laughs> That's really good. Oh, my God. I have to apologize for being late, a smiling pope said at the start of the Angelus Address. <laughs> and he then asked the crowd for a round of applause for the firefighters. So the pope's just fucking playing the hits. He knows, he knows where his bread is buttered. <laughs> Did, so I can only imagine him saying, I have to apologize for being late while, like, you know, twisting his forefinger into his cheek and smiling impishly. <laughs> I have to apologize for being late. <laughs> Addressing the crowd, the Pope said there had been, quote, a drop in voltage and the elevator stopped. So what, the Pope's an electrician now, I guess? An elevator inspector? He knows. He's, it's one of the papal powers you get. You can you can save souls and you know the ambient voltage in all machines around you. <laughs> Thank goodness. The Pope went on. The firefighters arrived, and I thanked them so much. And after 25 minutes of work, they managed to get it started again. So there's a little bit of a dig in there. He's just ever so slightly ragging on. Uh, yeah, he's like, I, I knew the voltage. It took them 25 minutes, but, yeah, uh, you yeah. know. They did some great work. It was a little slow, I got to say. Not everyone can be Papa, so. <laughs> 
Television networks in Italy, which broadcast the prayer live, had been concerned the unprecedented delay might have been due to health reasons. Well, does the Pope ever really die, or does he just turn into a dove until he reincarnates in the next Pope? Well, interesting you should say that, because the last sentence of this article is, in his address, the Pope announced that he would create ten new Roman Catholic cardinals next month. And uh, does he just... (laughs) Do they just sort of come out of his fingers or are they born like from his seed like the dark asher or how does that work i think he just well i'm very glad that you you referenced the dark asher it's it's um i think he just opens his robe and like little cardinals sort of spill Mm -hmm. out you know he kind of shakes it and they they come tumbling out like house elves yeah yeah or maybe you just you sew a cardinal hat and plant it in the garden and a new new cardinal (laughs) is The cardinal crop is coming in real good this year. (laughs) So here's my question. I have a couple questions about this. Mm -hmm. Do you think the Pope was alone in the elevator? Oh. I think it's funnier. It's a lot funnier if he is. Um, Yes. The idea of uh, the Pope riding the elevator at all is kind of inherently (laughs) funny. There's something... There's something about a person whose entire existence is sort of predicated on being this figure of dignity, being stuck in an undignified position that is really funny. Right. Right. I mean, so do you think he had to push his own button when he got in the elevator? Because that's just really funny to me for some reason. (laughs) I mean, is is it is it the Pope's private elevator, and the only buttons are like Pope's bedroom, Pope's balcony? Or or are there like 25 floors and he's got to remember which one he's supposed to be going to? Right, right. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, so on the flip side of it, can you imagine being stuck in an elevator with the Pope for 25 minutes? Because that feels like a real problem. Especially if you're like somebody kind of mid-level or menial. Uh, You're only expecting to be in there 10 seconds and now you've got to make awkward small talk with the Pope. Yeah, you got lost on a tour group and... (laughs) Now you're stuck in a small box with God's emissary on earth. So Right, right. Yeah, he's just opening his robe and maybe maybe that's the thing. He gets he opens his robe and he gets some cardinals or sorry, some company while the while the firefighters work. But Well he would he was on his way to give an address, so he's he's poked up to the nines. He's got a two foot tall hat on. Mm-hmm. He's got, you know, gold crosses everywhere. Right. And, uh, oh. you know, if you, were, if you were in your janitorial outfit or maybe your sweats, you know, <laughs> you're heading for your morning jog, that would be right, right. That would be rough. Uh, for some reason, I, I can't imagine that the janitorial outfits aren't like patterned like the Swiss Guard, but they're just, you know, like Swiss Guard jumpsuits. Right. Um, You've got a gold handled mop. Or, you know, your, your Swiss Guard patterned sweatpants on your... <laughs> What if they just say, what if they say like Catholicism down the side, like, you know, in in block letters, like, like juicy sweatpants or something. (laughs) Just say, they say Jesus across the butt. (laughs) Jesus across the butt. Yeah, that's very good. That's exactly what they say. Oh, I'm very, I'm so glad that the Pope is okay. Yeah. Ever since I heard this story, I've, uh, I've had the Aerosmith song, Love in an Elevator, stuck in my head, except it's Pope in an Elevator. Pope in an Elevator is very, yeah, yeah. Um, 
what do you think the Pope did in there for 25 minutes? Um, I mean, maybe he just, he was able to like catch up on some, on some Buzzfeed quizzes. I don't know. I feel like the Pope's got a lot. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully he had his phone with him. Right. And he could, he could watch a little, uh, watch a little Breaking Bad or something. Yeah. Yeah. The Pope's a huge Breaking Bad fan. Finally getting around to it. No, he's on his third rewatch. I mean, let's be real. Fair enough. I mean, my, my thought would be that if he was stuck in an elevator with someone else, that he would, um, they'd swap clothes because he's got his regalia, and now we've got a new pope, but we don't know it, and the pope is somewhere else, like, free. I'd be like... He went back to the tour, you know, wearing his... You know, we'd be standing there awkwardly for three or four minutes, and then I'd finally work up the courage to kind of be like, so, uh... So God, is he real? <laughs> you can, you can be, I won't tell anybody. Um, and, and then the Pope just winks and that's, right. that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> Taps the side of his nose. Oh God. <laughs> and shoots up the chimney. <laughs> he he could have gotten out of there at any time. He just, it's true. It's true. Next story. Next story. Missing woman mystery solved, and missing is in sarcastic quotes. Mm, mm. Did you hear this one? No. Okay, good, good. A group of tourists spent hours Saturday night looking for a missing woman near Iceland's Elja Canyon, only to find her among the search party. (laughs) (laughs) That's very good. The group? That's very good. The group was traveling group was traveling through Iceland on a tour bus and stopped near a volcanic canyon. Mm. Soon there was word of a missing passenger. The woman who had changed clothes didn't recognize the description of herself and joined in the search. But the search was called off about 3 a.m. when it became clear the missing woman was, in fact, accounted for and searching for herself. Oh, that's okay, so <laughs> that's actually the greatest story I've ever heard. Wasn't trying to pull anything, just could not possibly fathom <laughs> that she was the missing one. It's, uh, I like it because it's like a Borges story. Yes. It's, there's yes, this absolutely. existential, I feel like this woman can just like never go back to her family. Or she will, but her family won't recognize her anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her husband will open the door and be like, can I help you? Right, right. <laughs> I'm sorry, my wife went missing last week at Mount Elgia. Uh, my wife has been missing for 10 years. I don't know who you are, <laughs> but I'm going to need you to leave. Why is your head a volleyball with a, with a crude face painted on it? <laughs> All right, this is, this is my last warm-up piece. All right. And this comes courtesy of a baseball writer on twitter named grant brisby so credit goes to him for this for some reason he was sorting a master list of every player in major league baseball history okay alphabetically by first name that sounds tedious yeah i uh, god knows how he did it but he discovered this portion of the list in the s's and this is an undoctored, unbroken list of baseball player names. All right. All right, you ready? Yeah. Sixto Lescano, 
Skeeter Barnes, Skeeter Kell, Skeeter Newsom, Skeeter Scalzi, Skeeter Shelton, Skeeter Webb, Skell Roach, Ski Malillo, Skinny Graham, Skinny O'Neill, Skip Dowd, Skip Gwynn, Skip James, Skip Jutes, Skip Lockwood, Skip Pitlock, Skip Shoemaker, Skipper Friday. God, that's a great one, Skipper Friday. Friday's really good, yeah. Skipper Roberts, Skippy Roberge. <laughs> okay, Skipper Roberts and Skippy Roberge are definitely the same person trying desperately to have a pseudonym and Yeah, he got cut from one team and uh, needed to get back into the league. <laughs> What's on a fake mustache? No, I'm Skippy Robert. I am French. <laughs> Skippy Robert is the Quebecois Skip Roberts. <laughs> Shows up with like beaver pelts on his, uh, hanging mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. his uniform. Uh, That's how you can tell the Quebecois is they're, they're just like us, but they've got beaver pelts all over. Skyrocket Smith. Oh, wh- wh- oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Slats Jordan, Sled Allen, Sleeper Sullivan, oh. Slick Castleman. Oh man, <laughs> Slick Kaufman, Slicker slick Parks. Kaufman's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, he's even more slick than Slick Kaufman. <laughs> yeah, there's Slick Kaufman, and then there's you level up to Slicker Parks. Yeah, yeah, and then you level up to Slickest. Charizard, I don't know. Slim Embry, Slim Emmerich, Slim Harrell, Slim Harris, Slim Love, Slim McGrew, and Slim Sally. <laughs> Those are the Slims. <laughs> Slim Love is, I think, my favorite. That's You keep thinking it can't get better, and then something t- tops it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a Tangerine Dream song. Sloppy Thurston. <laughs> all right all right from now on we are a baseball player name podcast that's all we are because this is the greatest thing i've ever heard (laughs) slow joe doyle (laughs) speed jolly smoky burgess snake deal (laughs) (laughs) okay <laughs> Snake Henry, Snake Witsy, <laughs> Snapper Kennedy. Ooh, ooh, the luckiest Kennedy. Snipe Conley, Snipe Hansen, Snooks Dowd, <laughs> Snuffy Sternweiss. <laughs> Wait, we have to talk about Snuffy Sternweiss. I don't know what we have to say, but we have to we have to acknowledge him. Well, I feel like he and and Skippy Roberts are the two immigrant uh, baseball players, yes. European immigrant baseball players who, you know, probably came over about eighteen ninety five on a packet boat and. Right. <laughs> Hello, I am Snuffy Sternweiss. And I'm here to play your baseball. Well, you know that got changed at Ellis Island, right? It was like, I don't know, schnitzel or something. And the guy was like, eh, you're, you're snuffy from now on. <laughs> I mean, let's be clear. Schnitzel Sternweiss is also a terrifying name. But... <laughs> I, 
as far as I know, that's not actually a name, but it's the only German word I could think of. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Taguchi. S-O. S-O. So, yeah. S-O, all right. Sox Seabold and Sox Seabold. <laughs> oh, it's the Sox Twins. Except one is Sox Seabold, S-E-I-B-O-L-D, and the other one's S-E-Y-B-O-L-D. Well, that's why the Sox Twins and not the Seabold <laughs> okay, Twins. Fair enough. Very good. Um, I really hope they were teammates or else bitter rivals. Oh, my God. Yes. Tonight it's a socks on socks matchup. <laughs> Last time these boys went head to head. We all had to have a laundry day. I think for me it comes down to Skyrocket Smith, Slim Love, and Sloppy Thurston. Sloppy Thurston is really aggressively good. That's my all star team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I really like Slick Castleman too. Slick Castleman's good, yeah. It sounds more like a used car salesman, but just. A great right, one. right, right. Come down to Slick's Castleman used Toyotas. Slick Castleman's Castle O'Hondas. <laughs> <laughs> and he wears a crown, like a a little like Burger King crown right. and a and a cape right. over a over a seersucker suit. Forces his incredibly bored wife to dress up as his queen. Right. right. <laughs> That's Mrs. Castleman there. Sandy Castleman. Sandy Ca- Slim Sally is also really good. I feel like we didn't talk enough about Slim Sally. Yeah, and it's it's Sally S A double L double E. Ooh, so that's got some style. Slick Sally, <laughs> another one of our Quebecois friends. Welcome back to Lincoln and Wells. We're, we've, uh, we gave each other the assignment of finding a scoundrel from some time in history. It could be any time, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, we didn't put any, any limits on it. So right. We've each tracked down a scoundrel. and yes. Brought him to justice. Yeah. We're about to. <laughs> uh, do you want to go first? Sure. Sure. Um, all right. So, uh, my scoundrel is, um, I mean, we talked a little bit when we were doing the, uh, the great Wikipedia race, um, about, uh, uh, Giuseppe Balsamo, AKA Alessandro Cagliostro, um, because I, I came across him and, uh, did, did a little bit of research, uh, into him and his horrible ways. Um, so let's see, um, Giuseppe Balsamo was born, he lived from 1743 to 1795. Um, And here's where we have some caveats. We know about a man named Alessandro Cagliostro. That is absolutely a fake name that he used. Probably he was also Giuseppe Balsamo, who was a, like, wanted weirdo (laughs) before he he reemerged as Alessandro Cagliostro. Do you know anything, uh, Ben, about Alessandro Cagliostro? I know nothing other than what we talked about a, a few episodes ago. All right. So all right. I am, so I'm really looking forward to 
getting into all of his depravity. Absolutely. So he is he is a very famous occultist. Uh, he is the founder of um, the Egyptian uh, branch of Freemasonry. Okay, I love it already. Yeah, yeah. It's the Freemasonry that practices Egyptian magic, which he definitely just made up. Uh, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about like um, how we know that he might be Giuseppe Balsamo, because that's another weird story in and of itself. But uh, needless to say... Uh, Thomas Carlyle, the famous uh, Scottish author, uh, called him the quack of quacks. So uh, that's some good scoundrel territory right there. Um, He claims that he was born to Christian parents and abandoned on the Isle of Malta and then traveled as a child to Mecca, Medina, and Cairo um, in the company of the uh, Mujahideen of uh, Messina. Uh, who raised him, only to return to Malta and become a member of the Knights Hospitaller, where he studied alchemy and Kabbalah. That sounds 1,000% plausible, so I don't doubt him at all so far. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, We will get to parts of where that story is true, but in fact, (laughs) Giuseppe Balsamo was born (laughs) in Palermo. Schenectady. um, Schenectady in, in Palermo um, to poor parents in uh, what was the old Jewish ghetto. Um, and he was educated by the Catholic order of St. John the Good. They were called the do-gooders. Um, and later he was expelled from the order. I tried so hard to find out why, and no one will say. <laughs> we just know they did not care for him. It is one of the Freemasons' most closely held secrets. It's true. It's true. Here's what we do know about his childhood. This was so the, the, this was the story um, from from the other episode. So just in brief, um, when he was a novice in the Order of Saint John the Good, he convinced a local merchant, uh, Vincenzo Morano. Um, who was, I guess, a wealthy goldsmith, that there was an ancient treasure buried on uh, the slopes of Mount Pellegrino, and also that um, only Balsamo knew where it was, and because he was an expert in the occult, he could protect Murano from the magical creatures that were guarding the treasure. And so obviously what happened is uh, they went up the side of the mountain, uh, Balsamo mugged him, and uh, stole, uh, you know, all of the gold, I guess, that was on him, Um and then claimed that they had been attacked by jinns. <laughs> what I just appreciate about this story is that uh, this guy—he's just a two-bit thug, but he's got a lot of style. He does. He really, he has a, yes, you—you you can whack a, a. There are a lot of ways, a lot of easier ways than that to whack a goldsmith over the head and like take his wallet. It's true. But he came up with the the most convoluted, stylish way. Imagine right, right, absolutely. Uh, he then fled to Messina because obviously Murano was not happy once other people convinced him that he had been attacked, that he had not been attacked by jinns, but by the missing man God. he had hired. Financial trick. <laughs> what that intervention must have been like. <laughs> Everybody around Murano, the Murano family living room. Yeah. Look, uh, what was his first name again? Vincenzo. Vincenzo. Look, Vince, Vinny, bro. Oh, you got to stop looking for buried treasure with and gins. I don't know. <laughs> gins don't hit you with a frying pan. No, no, <laughs> no. With gins, guys. <laughs> the guy, the guy who bought all the stuff with, uh, with all the money he doesn't have, told me so. Yeah, he said so. 
Oh, anyway, okay. So, yeah. so yeah. we're off to so, a great start. Absolutely. So he fled to Messina. He did, in fact, eventually make it to Malta. So remember that he said that he joined the Order of the Knights Hospitaller and studied alchemy and the Kabbalah in, in the order? Um, he did go to Malta, and he did join the Knights Hospitaller, but he was an auxiliary pharmacist. So <laughs> that, that's like <laughs> backup pharmacist. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> Look, uh, you're not quite ready for the big time, kid. You just stand over there. The real pharmacist, he is sick today, so I will be doing my best. I mean, in fairness, I guess in those days, a pharmacist was like a guy who ground up chicken bones and put them in vials right. or. Yeah, yeah. Fed a lot of honey to a dog and then had you eat its liver. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, all right. So uh, he, he traveled a lot after that um, and eventually went to uh, Rome to become the secretary for Cardinal Orsini. Um, and Man, uh, this guy yeah, fails up. He does. He really does. Um, That's actually a and, theme with scoundrels. Um, it's true. It's true. Otherwise, they'd just be losers. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> uh, but he. Um, so and and this is where several articles use the phrase. It was then that he began to lead a double life. <laughs> so during the day, he's the respectable Giuseppe Balsamo um, secretary for Cardinal Orsini. But at night, he hangs out with Sicilian pirates and starts selling um, <laughs> fake magical Egyptian artifacts. Amazing. And also engravings that he had glued to a canvas and painted over to look like paintings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so was he doing the engravings? Or... I don't think so. He was buying engravings and then tracing them and selling them as his own paintings. Oh, as his own. So he wasn't uh, like forging famous paintings or something. He was just no, no. He has yet to become a famous forger, which right. is ab- absolutely later in his story. <laughs> okay, um, actually, it's it's right now. Um, <laughs> so he marries. Sarah, oh, actually, okay. So there's a, a brief horrifying interlude. Um, this is the section that I have titled "Marital Bliss." Um, he he met uh, and married uh, his wife Serafina, uh, who was 17 at the time. Uh, I think he met her Perfect. while, um, yeah, while he was hanging out with Sicilian pirates, right? Um, and then moved in with her and her parents. Mm. Um, and, that, could, that couldn't have been awkward. No. Uh, and in fact, um, it's like riding an elevator with the Pope. Right, right. Absolutely. Except when you ask if there's a God, he, he just sells you an Egyptian artifact and a painting he traced. I guess it's actually uh, plausible that he could have ridden in an elevator with the Pope. It's true. It's it true. A oh, hand-operated yeah. elevator. Right, right. Like there's a winch at the bottom. Pulling on. Yeah. <laughs> we got to lift anyway, this pole. Go on. Uh, so, um, um, <laughs> oh, the pole so, is to lose a few. This is a quote from, um, from Wikipedia, which I think c- contains all of the most polite euphemisms imaginable for how living with her parents went, which is – Balsamo's coarse language and the way he incited her to display her body was at odds with her parents' religion. <laughs> Man, yeah, that is some very delicate verbiage. <laughs> they left after a heated discussion. <laughs> so uh, they're like at the family dinner table and he's like, yes. strip. <laughs> 
strip motherfucker. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. And that um, was to the Pope. <laughs> that was to the Pope. That was when they had the Pope over for dinner. <laughs> Steamed hams. It was it was a rough night. Um, yeah, uh, difference of opinion. Yes. Okay, so he he um so they moved out and he befriended one of his one of the buddies that he had made down when he was hanging out with Sicilian pirates and criminals was the famous Sicilian forger and swindler um Agliata Agliata who um <laughs> Balsamo traded a, a night with his wife to him uh for lessons on how to forge letters diplomas and official documents so <laughs> all right so he's like <laughs> You can have my wife for a night if you teach me how to write yes. good. Yeah, yeah. But that said, apparently it was it was a pretty good trade because uh, Casanova, the famed Venetian spy Casanova, um, uh, reported that he was um, the greatest forger that he had ever known and um, was able to, like, uh, forge letters even when they were in, like, pictographic codes that Balsamo couldn't read. So, you know, good trade. Um, also yeah, in Casanova. Good for him, <laughs> I guess, and maybe good for the other guy. Oh, don't All worry. Right. Don't worry. Serafina will get hers by the end. Um, <laughs> in, a, in a good way. Oh, that could have gone very yeah, differently. Yeah. I could yeah. not at all tell what you meant by that. So, uh, Yeah, so they moved to, um, to London, um, and that's when he started calling himself Alessandro Cagliostro. Um, and uh, starting on a long European tour, uh, he became uh, friends with Catherine the Great at one point, um, although apparently she later wrote satirical plays about him after he had left. So, well, they were great friends. Yeah. He made an impression, I guess. Uh, yeah. And uh, when he was living in France, uh, a lot of people were trying to recommend him to become uh, Ben Franklin's private physician. Um, I mean, granted, he was an auxiliary pharmacist, so. You got to meet this guy and his wife, smoking hot, never wears clothes. That actually really would have worked for Ben Franklin. It would, so. it would have been the most. Yeah, that is the ultimate Ben Ben Franklin honeypot. Um, and that, so, you know, when he was in London, that's when he founded the Egyptian Order of Freemasonry. I'm sorry, the Order of Egyptian Freemasonry, which um, is is just fake again. Um, all right, so here's where we're going to take a weird little detour. That we we have to take in order yeah, this to has been, this has been straightforward sailing absolutely. So the, the whole thing is um, at this point, most people knew him as as the Count Alessandro Cagliostro, and the reason that we know that that was a fake name because remember he's a master forger and had all of his documents in order um, is because of the affair of the necklace. Are you familiar with the affair of the necklace? I am not, but it's not a Poirot, is it? It's not a Poirot. <laughs> Uh, so uh, this is just for those of you who don't know, I assume most of our listeners in the panhandle do know about the affair of the necklace, but for those who don't, and for Ben's, for Ben's uh, um, edification here, um, in brief, this is another scoundrel cast worthy story in and of itself, but there was a uh, French um, noblewoman named uh, uh, Jean, Jean de, Mont, de la Mont, um, who was a who claimed that she was a close friend of Marie Antoinette. She was not, um, but she was the ex-lover of the Cardinal de Rohan, and um, she basically uh, like convinced uh, the Cardinal 
she was another forger, I guess, and uh, was uh, forging letters from Marie Antoinette to the cardinal, her ex-lover. And just, the a, letters, just a quick yeah. uh, point of clarification. I don't know a ton about Catholicism, but cardinals aren't supposed to have lovers or ex-lovers, are they? No, but this is late 18th century France, so I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this is also around the same time that like the satanic court was a big thing in France, so there's a lot going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so he started forging these letters from Marie Antoinette to Cardinal de Rohan, and eventually they turned sexual, and so Rohan thought that Marie Antoinette was in love with him. Um, and asked to meet with her discreetly. He was like, and, oh, shit, here we go. Yeah, yeah. so Jean Delamotte hired a, uh, a prostitute that looked a lot like the queen <laughs> <laughs> to, like, meet him in, like, midnight garden trysts. <laughs> so and they then, could eat cake? So they could eat cake. <laughs> oh, uh, you can't, probably can't hear, but there was a there was a very powerful snap and point mm-hmm. that I just did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, um, so after they had established this relationship, where the Cardinal de Rohan thought he was having an affair with Marie Antoinette, um, so uh, this guy Jean- really, I guess, in those days, you know, you didn't have Google images. You could, you know, probably only ever seen the Queen kind of far off, right? And he's right. Like, yeah, looks like yeah. the real thing. Absolutely right. <laughs> Um, so uh, eventually, um, she started, uh, Jean de Lamont started like writing like, Oh, can you lend me some money? I need it for queenly charity work. So the Cardinal Rohan started like giving her lots and lots of money, <laughs> giving this woman who had hired someone else who looked like Marie Antoinette <laughs> money for Marie Antoinette's charities. And, uh, Jean de Lamont used some of that money to try and buy, um, the queen's necklace, which was not. Marie Antoinette's necklace. It was a necklace that had com- been commissioned by Louis XV, who was Marie Antoinette's father-in-law, for his mistress. And had it had at least 17 large diamonds in it um, and uh, was valued at the time at apparently the, the like present-day equivalent of $14 million dollars. Um, and yeah, so, and, and also important to note, Marie Antoinette herself had refused to buy it a number of times because she felt like it was an extravagance. Um, (laughs) if Marie Antoinette's like, you know what, this is over the top, (laughs) this is way, way too much. So John de Lamont was like, oh, I'm totally going to buy it. Um, and in the process of this, it got out from Cardinal uh, Rahan that, that she had borrowed money from, him to buy the necklace that she had refused publicly. And he thought that was not great. So he, you know, he exposed it, which of course exposed that he was in fact, not having an affair with Marie Antoinette at all. Um, and, uh, uh, I I found the phrase was arrested in the hall of mirrors at Versailles, which is an awesome scene. Um, so, um, you watch himself from every angle be arrested. Yes, yes. And then he, he like shared the letters after he was arrested, and so Jean de Lamotte and Nicole, who was the uh the prostitute, were both arrested. They were all put in the Bastille. Um and here's where it comes into it. Um uh Cagliostro was also arrested. <laughs> now, as far as we know, Cagliostro had absolutely nothing to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> somebody was, was the, just like you look shady as shit yeah you're coming he was in the me. french court at the time someone was just like you know 
probably. Uh, and so when he was arrested, uh, that is when a lot of the like fact that he had a, like a doctored, uh, you know, past came out, even though this was the one time he hadn't swindled anyone. Um, and, uh, that is how we maybe know that he is, uh, Giuseppe Balsamo, um, uh, Goethe, the author Goethe, later did some research from those French documents and put together that maybe he was this Giuseppe Balsamo from Palermo who had tried to uh, tried to mug this uh, uh, this this goldsmith. Um, uh, uh, on the other hand, though, the affair of the necklace, uh, people wouldn't believe after all of the evidence came out uh, that um, Marie Antoinette was not actually somehow behind it all. Like that was the rumor. So even though she had had nothing to do with it, the rumor was that she had actually been behind it. Um, the jewelers had to declare bankruptcy uh, because no one had bought this necklace. and <laughs> They had gone into debt on the <laughs> idea that the necklace was finally going to be bought. Um, uh, and wait, so that, where is the necklace now? Who's got it? I, uh, well, the jewelers were going to, we still had it. The Cardinal de Rohan released the information about it. Like he was, he didn't buy the necklace, but he was like, this isn't right that she's buying this necklace with this charity money I'm giving her. Uh. So yes, but people refuse to believe that it wasn't Marie Antoinette. And a lot of people cite that, um, disfavor with her and the French revolution were in part due to the rumor that she had bought the necklace. So obviously there were a lot of reasons for the French Revolution happening, but one of the one of the inciting factors was that Marie Antoinette had bought this necklace secretly when in fact she hadn't. So both she and Cagliostro really like got the short end of the stick there. Um, Cagliostro though was released um, when they had no evidence against him that he was involved. Um, he fled back to Rome and made friends with some people who turned out to be members of the Inquisition. Right. And some stories so wandering yeah. from one lion's den to another. Yes. He's really got a, a great nose for people, doesn't he? Right, right. Uh, and it is widely believed that his wife, Serafina, in fact, like arranged for the Inquisition spies to befriend him. <laughs> so yeah, well, she, I, she did get her revenge in the end. Yeah, I would not half blame her. Yeah, uh, he was arrested and tried and then sentenced to death, but that sentence was commuted to a life sentence, and he lived out the rest of his days in the Forte di San Leon near Emilia-Romagna. Um, now, he has a long, um, like, afterlife. Um, there were all those satirical plays about him. Apparently, a lot of people wrote satirical plays about him. Uh, do you know um, the Maurice LeBlanc Arsène Lupin novels? Um, yes, I've, I've heard of them. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're novels about like a, a famous thief named Arsa, a fictional thief named Arsène Lupin, <laughs> who, you know, they're like little like, and here's how I did it, right? Um, so um, in those novels, uh, Josephine Balsamo, um, who is uh, Giuseppe Balsamo's descendant. Oh, in England, they called him Joseph Balsamo. He was Joe Balsamo there. So well, Josephine Balsamo Joey Balls. So um, Josephine Balsamo is a character, one of one of Lupin's rivals in those novels, um, who is another like fake charlatan in the 20s. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, Joey Balls actually ended up having a stint in Major League Baseball. Yes, he did. Alongside Slim Love and Uh, Slick Castleman. Joey Balls and Slim Love is (laughs) 
<laughs> they, batted, that... they batted back to back in the order, and <laughs> you know that was actually a film that showed up on my hotel bill, and I had to dispute it. Um, they really gave the pitchers a pounding, I'll tell you. God, Jesus Christ! Um, but yeah, so um, uh, he um, he has appeared in many films. Uh, uh, apparently, uh, he is in the Spawn comics as a character. And is in the Spawn movie starring uh, starring oh, the one Martin with the, Sheen. Yeah. John Leguizamo and the one with John Leguizamo and Martin Sheen. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he, he was so he was played by uh, Orson Welles in a film called Black Magic, um, and in the filmed uh, version of the Affair of the Necklace, which I think had Hilary Swank in it. Um, Cagliostro is played by Christopher Walken, so that's pretty cool. That's amazing. Um, and also, um, I mean, there's a, a all of our listeners will write in and say, "Well, what about the Miyazaki film called Castle Cagliostro?" Uh, that has nothing to do with the actual Cagliostro. It's an early Miyazaki film uh, about Lupin the Third, who is an anime reimagining of the descendant of our son Lupin and maybe the Cagliostro thing has to do with the fact that Josephine Balsamo was in the Lupin novels. Really unclear, very strange, but you know, I, I don't want all of our anime fans out there to get mad yeah. when I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just really overwhelmed with all the listeners who've been writing in my mailbox is. Yeah. You yeah. Know, my, my staff just can't keep up with it. And, uh, that said, if you would like to commission a, a, a manga that stars the two of us, I uh, would a hundred percent be on board for that. Yeah. Um, DMs are only, open for that. It's like a, a yeah. yayoi, you know, manga, which is the like gay, um, love manga that is in that is uh between two men that is always aimed at like preteen girls as the readers um I'm, I'm not, place. yeah <laughs> i don't know what kind of paycheck comes with that but i'm willing to talk numbers absolutely um the final fact that i learned is that uh <laughs> this is in the like list of like after effects he's you know a lot of like novels reference him all these things but um uh, he does appear in a film that I've never heard of, but now need to see called the erotic rights of Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rights R I G H T S or R I T E S. Unfortunately, R I T E S. Because <laughs> I, well, I love it either way, but yeah. uh, I, I like the idea of a film that's just stating the case for uh, Frankenstein's right to have a love life. Yes. It's a tense courtroom drama. Where, <laughs> yeah, Clarence Darrow defended him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> played Clarence by Orson Darrow. Welles. Yeah, played by Orson Welles. Um, <laughs> Gregory Peck played Cagliostro and played Frankenstein, I guess, in that one. Um, so, <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Um, but no, I assume I assume th- these are uh, Egyptian Freemason rites of. I I can only imagine incantations to Ra and Canopus or whatever. Right. Right. Um, Well, that is Giuseppe Balsamo, AKA the Conte Alessandro Cagliostro quack of quacks. That is great. That's, I love that. I love this Uh, guy. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Love, love his, love his relationship with his wife. Love his uh, his attitude towards magical creatures and whether or not he should be the one to 
display their will. I love his willingness to just absolutely run roughshod over his in-laws. Just yes. really like move into their house and and just wild out. Love his whole pro-Sicilian pirate stance. Yeah, we, we all need some more Sicilian pirates in our life. I currently have none, and it's really yeah. a big miss. I mean, I'm, I'm also just, like, I was fascinated by, like, oh, the late 18th century, when you can, like, be good friends with Catherine the Great and Casanova and Ben Franklin. <laughs> and some pirates. And some pirates. <laughs> yeah. And, and be just close enough to the French court and Marie Antoinette that people arrest you when someone else scams her. <laughs> You get arrested for crimes that sort of didn't really happen. Yes, yes. And you end up causing massive societal unrest and right. the overthrow of the monarchy. <laughs> and then, end of your life, you make some buddies with the Inquisition and just retire to the countryside. Turns out they aren't buddies. They're not, not so Ooh, much. could have seen that coming. So this is going to be good because I brought a very different kind of scoundrel. Awesome. Very different era, very different MO. Sam Thomas Tommy Burnett. <laughs> I'm already a fan. So Tommy Burnett was born in 1942 in Goodlettsville, Tennessee, Ooh. which is a small town outside of Nashville. Okay. At Goodlettsville High School, he was voted most likely to succeed. <laughs> the mark of all true scoundrels. I feel like um, the the high you know high school yearbook most likely section is just it might as well be called foreshadowing. Right. Right. <laughs> Biggest sneak. Most likely to die in the dungeons of the Inquisition. (laughs) (laughs) At various times in his life, he worked as a Church of Christ preacher, a farmer. Oh, good. (laughs) I'm sensing some themes here already. A a human rights investigator. Oh, no. Oh, no. An oil prospector. (laughs) And a trader in mules and exotic birds. One of these jobs is definitely not like the others. And it's human rights investigator. I want to be clear, it's human rights investigator. (laughs) He also trained as a lawyer, and he was an inveterate salesman. He always had a side hustle. He, (laughs) He sold Oxford shirts, fireworks, ceramics, faux antique cars, Jimmy (laughs) Cook... Is it just a car that you leave out in the rain? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or like a, you know, a 1996 Honda Accord that you've put like some Chevrolet fins on or something? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the license plate just says Model T. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Carter commemorative watches. <laughs> that he got while he was a human, uh, a human rights investigator. <laughs> yeah, I guess. 
Green beans. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Quote, Indian jewelry. Oh, okay. well, obviously. Obviously, we got to get into that at some point. And <laughs> eggs. <laughs> <laughs> so he sells a bunch of, like, fake things and, like, stuff that he's clearly like swindled and and priced up but also just a lot of produce yeah just yeah things he kind of grabbed off the back of a truck as he was yeah, passing by. Yeah. <laughs> this truck was carrying nothing but eggs and jimmy carter watches <laughs> oxford shirts and faux antique cars i don't know <laughs> I, I found a I found a fake antique car at the bottom of this this truck of green beans what do i do with it <laughs> Uh, so he always had a side hustle, but his main hustle was politics. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. This took an amazing turn. And it had taken like five already. He was a Democrat and became, <laughs> became a protege of Ned McWhirter, a former beer distributor who became a legendary Tennessee governor. Huh. Huh. He was also a close political ally of Governor Ray Blanton, who during his tenure was involved in a number of scandals, including selling off surplus state-owned cars. (laughs) I think I know where those cars went. (laughs) (laughs) Look, uh, Tommy, can you just dress these up a little bit? Make it look like, I don't know, a Thunderbird or something. Uh, Accepting bribes for pardons. That's a classic. <laughs> of course, of course. And, uh, he, and Blanton was in, indicted for mail fraud, conspiracy, and extortion for selling liquor licenses. Oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, man, but there was no green bean scandal. That was, that was just, that was Tommy's own. The green beans were all above board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, Tommy was elected to the State House of Representatives at age 28 and quickly became a rising star. All right. According to veteran Tennessee political observer Mike Piggott, who really <laughs> sounds like a baseball player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Burnett had, quote, a smile that entered the room before the rest of him did. <laughs> he was a sorcerer. <laughs> it's, it's a really disturbing image. It really is, yeah. Piggott also described him as, quote, an adult version of Dennis the Menace. Oh, no. Who had, <laughs> who had, quote, an insatiable craving for doing business of any kind and, quote, an ability to seek and get mercy. <laughs> if there's one thing I know about Dennis the Menace, it's his insatiable craving for business of any kind. <laughs> Uh, he was known as an eloquent orator and a crafty operator. Ooh. But not a smooth operator, just a crafty one. <laughs> crafty. Among his legislative accomplishments were passing major education and nursing home reforms. Oh, no. Oh, no. We have to, <laughs> we well, have no. to live with privacy. My, my, my understanding is that they were, these were positive reforms. I don't know a lot about them. But no, but um, if they were positive, like we just have to live with the fact that, like, 
this 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 watch and green bean salesman may have fixed education in the state of Tennessee. Uh, he that's why he's on our, our Tennessee dimes. <laughs> the official cryptocurrency of Tennessee is they're, they're called Burnett coins. Tennessee doesn't have a panhandle, right? We can we can make jokes about them. I think it's just one long panhandle. Uh, I guess that's true. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a, a, pan, it's, a it's a pan that's lost its pan. Or it's a handle without a pan. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, he passed a law mandating the use of seatbelts, which uh, uh, I guess wasn't a thing in Tennessee. Fair enough. So he wasn't a libertarian is what you're saying. No. And a law that limited nighttime work for teenagers, nighttime work hours. So definitely not a libertarian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but let's be clear. He passed that so teenagers could like – go and grift all night instead of having to work. Right. Make an honest living for once. <laughs> um, Sell my watches. He helped establish the Highway 127 Corridor Sale, an annual event also known as the World's Longest Yard Sale. <laughs> which is so on brand for this guy. Brand. Yeah. You want green beans? <laughs> Got it. Couple miles down the road. <laughs> okay, okay. Not into uh, not into green beans. How huh? you want some oil futures? <laughs> Just drive up the road, and there's a there's a, a car that's crashed, and it's full of eggs. Take them. Take the eggs. <laughs> um, he and his wife raised more than fifteen foster children. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. All right. He could he could quote from the Canterbury Tales at length. In, in, <laughs> In old English, <laughs> and uh, he—it's it's Middle English, Ben. I do, I do want to. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I, yeah. I know, I know. I just, you know, it's important. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what uh, you're the doctor around here, yeah, yeah, and you're merely the master. Uh, <laughs> oh no! Um, but I'm trying to think what like Canterbury Tales in a Tennessee accent sounds like. <laughs> Wham! That apple with its sure as soda. I think every uh, every V is replaced with yuns. Yuns. <laughs> Parsed to yun rota. <laughs> oh, I'm very happy to laugh at my own joke right now. Uh, all right. Yeah. He also um, he liked to be the MC and he liked to roast people at charity events. Oh, good. <laughs> that last bit was essential. In 1984, while serving in the House, he went to jail for the first time. <laughs> the first time. It was for, quote, willful failure to, fire, to file federal income tax returns for three years. All right. All right. So pretty standard scoundrel behavior. It's just your garden variety tax evasion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He served five months at an Air Force base prison camp for some reason. <laughs> I couldn't figure out why they sent him to an Air Force base. Well, it's because he had so many Air Force friends buying up his eggs and his cars. <laughs> I guess gives new meaning to the term flight risk, eh? Ooh. All right, that was bad. It was, you are, you're, you, what, you have a child due any day now, right? Yeah, I do. It's, it's <laughs> you are in practice, man. Uh, while in prison, he did two things. 
the first the first was to defeat two primary candidates and a Republican challenger, winning re-election in a landslide. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. The second was to trick another inmate into giving him forty eight thousand dollars to invest in a gambling operation. <laughs> Oh man, Tommy. Oh man. That's a really I mean like I I think I'd be impressed by either of those, but at the same time, that's just like that's massively impressive. Um so after getting out of jail, Tommy picked up his dual career in the legislature and as a lawyer, right where he left off. This is not a relevant fact, but uh, during his next reelection campaign, he uh, his his like campaign swag was plastic fly swatters that said "Vote Tommy Burnett" on them. And he would, you know, he'd be on his his campaign swing around rural Tennessee, and he'd be just swatting flies and handing out fly swatters. That's amazing. I mean, I assume he got like a, a hot deal on. Um a bunch of plastic fly swatters that fell off the back of a truck. And so it's like, (laughs) just just stamp Tommy on them. Uh, So, uh, so things went pretty well for Tommy until 1989. (laughs) And it was revealed that for years, the FBI had been investigating corruption in Tennessee politics under the umbrella of something called operation Rocky top. Ooh. Ooh, that's a good, that's a good name. (laughs) Anyway, this was an undercover investigation of illegal activities mostly related to bingo. Wait, wait. This is what I love about this story is all of this stuff, it's so, it's such like petty dirtbag stuff. Mm -hmm. It's selling liquor licenses, state-owned cars, it's bingo, it's just like... Yeah, it's green beans. Uh, so, so it transpired that a member of the House of Representatives had been wearing a wire. <laughs> a freshman, a freshman representative, and that uh, Burnett's mentor, Governor Ned McWhorter, had been cooperating with the feds. Mm. Uh, thereby boosting sales of McWhorter brew. <laughs> um, in late 1989, the indictments started flying. Of course. Tennessee Secretary of State Gentry Crowell, another baseball <laughs> legend. <laughs> Gentry Crowell is like either a name for like a very out of shape baseball player from the minor leagues or like the head of the Sacred Order of the Golden Dawn. Yeah, who also owns the baseball team. <laughs> Um, Gentry Crowell committed suicide rather than testify. Oh, (laughs) okay. I'm so sorry, Gentry, for making fun of your name. How fucking dark were his bingo crimes that he couldn't face (laughs) a grand jury? Uh, This is the eighth bingo-related death we've had this year. Well, State Representative Ted Ray Miller also committed suicide after being charged with bribery. Good Lord. It's a spate of bingo suicides up in here. It is. It is. Oh, man. So basically, the FBI uncovered 
a vast network of bingo operators in Tennessee, <laughs> more than 300 who were getting chartered as bogus charities so that they could, I guess so they could write off their um, earnings. Like, right, right. And then uh, they were funneling money back to state legislatures who were in- enabling the scheme. God. Um, so in the end, Operation Rocky Top resulted in more than 50 convictions, the most high profile of which was House Majority Leader Tommy Burnett. Oh, of course. <sighs> Who yep. did not commit suicide because of bingo. He did so, not. At least... He, Tommy faced the music. Burnett was convicted on nine counts, including defrauding the guy he'd met in prison for 48K. (laughs) (laughs) He was stripped of his law license and had to call off his current re-election campaign. During the appeals process, he started working as a car salesman. Of course he did. Wait, wait. (laughs) He was still campaigning from the middle of his corruption trial? Yeah, I guess... uh, many deaths he was still campaigning i think it became public like during election season and so he was still campaigning up until the point where he was convicted yeah (laughs) he was sentenced to five years in prison but true to form he only served 16 months of course of course and uh, he then spent six months in a halfway house after getting out of the halfway house he secured a gig as a pundit on Teddy Bart's Roundtable, a Nashville radio program known for rational and civil conversation about local politics. <laughs> so obviously Tommy Burnett is the man you so, want. So they got this, this con fresh out, of the, fresh out of the slammer and brought him in for some rational and civil convo. The Tennessee politics, which he had recently uh, yeah. Turn yeah. into an absolute shit show of corruption and with very sober, sober reports each week on the the bingo scandal death count. <laughs> Three more men found dead in their jail cells as a result of. I shouldn't be making fun of them, but but bingo. <laughs> <laughs> um. <clears throat> so five years later, Burnett managed to get his law license reinstated. <laughs> Despite smile, that smile entered the room without him there, and they believed the smile. What it, it makes me think of like a Mr. Potato Head or something, and like his his mouth and jaw just sort of detaching and floating ahead of him. Uh, uh. <laughs> but man, that detached jaw could sell a green bean and a Jimmy Carter watch like you wouldn't believe. So he managed to get his law license reinstated despite failing the essay portion of the bar exam. And uh, he had to That's argue in court that, that so, he didn't need he didn't need to pass the essay. Right. Well, wow, this is nothing but words, Your Honor. And uh, in the meantime, he supplemented his income selling roadside fireworks. <laughs> it's the highest of the high and the lowest of the low with this guy. There's really there's nothing. Too good or too bad for him. He's, yeah, he's yeah. willing to do anything. Right? It's like, well, during the day, I'm uh, running a grift where I'm trying to get all the gold out of Fort Knox. But at night, I'm stealing pigs from my neighbor's yard and selling them to the highest drifter. <laughs> Sorry, highest bidder. 
not the highest drifter, <laughs> the highest drifter of all the drifters that pass through town. The one that smoked the most pot gets a fancy pig in exchange for whatever's in his pockets. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm also selling the highest drifter to the highest bidder. Let's be clear. <laughs> I got him chained up right now. <laughs> I've been starving him, so he's ready for fighting. He eventually repaid the 48K to his former prison mate. Well, that's good of him. I guess court-mandated probably, but still. It was court-mandated. All right, yeah. all right. He had to make restitution. And, uh, and Tommy Burnett died in 2009 in Nashville. And according to Mike Piggott, despite all his shenanigans, he died a man forgiven by most. <laughs> so is that like forgiven by all his friends but not by God? Or what's the... <laughs> I don't know, but all I can say is, man, it's good to be white. Right? Yeah. If you're if you, white and you do all this shit, you're, you're colorful. Right? Right? You're, you're an eccentric. Yeah. Oh, wacky old Tommy, always stealing yeah. from his prison mates and selling fake cars. I mean, all those people of color who every year serve life sentences for selling eggs is, I mean, I wish, I wish I said that and it was just a funny, ridiculous joke, but I'm thinking about it now and like, I, I bet, believe I bet it. there's yeah. a couple people there. I bet there's a couple people who are serving a life sentence for selling, selling eggs they did not own. Oh, but you I, are. You know, I can't help it. I'm, I'm won over by Tommy too. I mean, it's important to, to, to have some standards and to, to just be able to get on board with, with batshit crazy hustlers who somehow <laughs> pass widespread educational reform. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's almost, it's almost that, uh, no, it's not, I was about to say, it's like that Steve Martin film, Leap of Faith, except it's nothing like that. It's nothing at all like that. It's more like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It is, it is. If we had to pick, you know, or... <laughs> Cheaper by the dozen, given all of his children. Right. There's a lot of Steve Martin films that might work with this. It's a cheaper by the dozen, uh, um, <laughs> dirty rotten scoundrels crossover. Absolutely. I think what I love about this guy is that his his grand ambitions were constantly being thwarted by his sort of inability to say no to any petty <laughs> hustle that came his way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just really, he couldn't resist anything. Oh my you know, god! He's got a good thing going, but he just couldn't help start selling bingo licenses, right, right. bingo charities. He gets home from this great speech in the in the state senate, and he he finds he finds that someone's left a box of Jimmy Carter commemorative watches on his porch. He's like, "Just when I'm out, <laughs> they pull me back in." <laughs> Martha, we've hit pay dirt. We've hit pay dirt. And by pay dirt, I mean there's green beans growing in our backyard. Let's hack up the prices. I honestly really want one of those Jimmy Carter watches. Absolutely. I assume like it's his face as the as the face of the watch and Yeah. Yeah. And Jimmy Carter's famous mustache as the two the two arms. <laughs> <laughs> Ever twirling. Man. Oh man, we pretty much covered like both ends of the scoundrel spectrum. We did. Bum bum ba da 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 dum. No, wait, no, no, that was the Law and Order theme. <laughs> I 
Never mind. I, I what were you going for? <laughs> I was going. I was just going for like the Lincoln and Wells outro music, but, mm. but it ended up with the Law and Order theme. We're making deals in Hollyweird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're becoming power players. Honestly, absolutely. Uh, if it's I can only just a matter of time. stop selling green beans for a minute and right. focus on this, then yeah. we're really going to hit the big time. Look, look, if you can stop selling green beans and I can stop selling my wife in exchange for criminal favors, then we're going to we're finally going to. Yeah, absolutely. As long as we can agree that we're not going to stop practicing Egyptian Freemasonry magic. Absolutely. From now on, we only practice the kind of law where we fail the essay, but Frankenstein gets to fuck. And that's Lincoln and Wells. And happy, happy trails, scoundrelinos. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And remember, if you get a Jimmy Carter commemorative watch, please mail it to us right away. Please, I don't care if it works or not. No, no. Preferable if it doesn't. Preferable if it doesn't. Let's be clear. If If it's specifically commemorating the Camp David Accords, that's even better. Oh my God! Yes. Oh my God. Oh, what if it's just? <laughs> it's just it's a, it's a watch of Jimmy Carter's face, and it's just counting down to uh, to uh, uh, to the Reagan election. <laughs> and his face and just gets yeah, sadder, gets more and sadder. Yeah, yeah. But but when it it hits like you know zero zero minutes to midnight, the uh, those hostages get freed from Iran. So you know. It's all good. And then he then he starts building a house for Habitat for Humanity. Right, right. And farming oh. peanuts. Farming peanuts. Oh, but he found a green bean. Now he's got a. Now, now old Jimmy's got to go on the road with a with a a real Georgia style grip this time. When you're left one green bean, that's a message from the yeah. from Operation Rocky Top. You've been marked. absolutely. We got our eyes on you, buddy. I was about to say, wouldn't it be amazing if there was an ex-president who just became a professional grifter? But I have realized, yeah, that was Lincoln and Wells. (laughs) (laughs) Fun while it lasted. Fun while it lasted. (laughs) Good night, America. Good night, you princes of panhandles. You kings of other panhandles. 